0: You're listening to episode number 52 of the Effective Statistician podcast, an introduction to benefit-risk assessment. Welcome to the Effective Statistician with Alexander Schacht and Benjamin Pieske, the weekly podcast for statisticians in the health sector designed to improve your leadership skills, widen your business acumen, and enhance your efficiency. The PSI conference in London is coming up. It's from the 2nd to the 5th of June in London, as I said. And if you listen to this very very timely, you can still catch the early bird rate because it ends on March 20th of 2019. I've already registered and I will also present there. So come join me at the conference. It'll be awesome. I have made so many, many good connections at this conference. It's great for networking, it's great from a, a content perspective. It's actually the best conference for pharma statisticians or for zero statisticians that I have ever been to, and have been to quite some conferences. It's a very, very to the point, very practical, no kind of ivory tower statistics. It's really what will help you. Lots of lots of very, very good content. And you know, there has been so many abstract submissions that the acceptance rate was I think about 50%. Can you believe it? Most of the conference actually uh, struggle to fill all their slots. The PSI conference can actually select the best conference for you as a participant. So act fast and um, save the early bird uh, deadline. So register now and let's meet in London. In this episode, we talk about benefit risk. This is a topic very, very close to my heart. I have been the chair of the benefit risk SIG for quite some time. And today we talk about what benefit risk assessment is, what the role of you as a statistician is, in that there. We do dive into the benefit risk landscape because not only statisticians are of course working in this and we also uh, will tell you a little bit about the special interest group on benefit risk and how you can become a member and what it offers for you also if you're not a member. This podcast is created in association with PSI, a global member organization dedicated to leading and promoting best practice and industry initiatives. Welcome to another episode of The Effective Statistician, and this time it's really, really nice because I'm speaking with two friends of mine that I have worked with for a very, very long time on the topic of this episode, benefit-risk, and we have as guests here today Maria and Cheryl and it's only me as a host because Benjamin couldn't make it uh, for, for this, this date. So... Hi Maria, how are you doing?
1: Hello Alexander, I'm very good, thank you.
0: Hi Sharul, how are you? Hello Alexander, I'm,
2: I'm good, thank you. Hello, so okay. Maria. <laughs> Hi <Cheryl. laughs>
0: Okay, very good. So, um, before we dive into the topic itself, uh, Maria, Sharul, maybe you can introduce yourself first and tell us a little bit about your experience with benefit-risk assessment and um, why you think it's important for you.
1: Okay, uh, maybe I can start. So, uh, as you know, my name is Maria Costa. I'm a statistician uh, at Novartis, and uh, I've been very interested in this topic uh, for some time now, uh, since essentially joining the, the pharmaceutical industry. Um, I've worked in company initiatives on the topic of benefit-risk. I am part of the FSPI PSI SIG, and I'm also part of the DIA benefit-risk subteam. I have uh, published papers with uh, several colleagues on, on this topic, particularly related to the application of Bayesian thinking into benefit-risk so um, I've collaborated with Alexander and Sharul and on um, several initiatives, particularly as part of the F-SPY PSI 6. So I, I, I find this topic really relevant uh, for myself as a statistician in the pharmaceutical industry because... As statisticians, whenever we gather data from the clinical trials we are involved in, we always find ourselves uh, with the question of what are the uh, relevant trade-offs between the observed uh, data on our efficacy endpoints and any potential safety risks. And I think the, the clinical teams' HTA members, et cetera, they always turn to the statistician for help to, um, on how to interpret the data, on how to visualize the data, et cetera. So I think that as a statistician in the pharmaceutical industry, it is uh, really our job to enable teams to make this um, assessment as clear as tra- and as transparent as it can be.
0: Okay, awesome. And why are you passionate about it?
1: Because I think that all the questions um, that are related to the interpretation of data from clinical trials are all associated with this trade-off. So uh, very often the drugs we work in have uh, or we observe potential safety signals but we know that, of course, patients are in need of treatments uh, that can address their main concerns uh, with the, the disease that they have, and so it's really all about this trade-off. Okay, so I, um, you know, I can benefit uh, if I take this drug. I can have this list of benefits. However. It is, um, there is a potential that I might experience some of these uh, safety risks. And then the benefit-risk assessment really helps you uh, make this trade-off uh, clear and transparent and help so that patients and physicians, uh, and not just sponsors, but can make informed decisions. So I think once the clinical trial uh, data is collected, the interpretation of it is really all in the context of this trade-off, um, and I think that this is this is really critical um, for patients and, and among other stakeholders.
0: Yeah, I completely agree with that. That all is also why, for me personally, it was always important because I see this as a common topic mm-hmm. across a complete um, development of a new product uh, from very, very early preclinical phases up to, you know, uh, up to end of patent life and beyond. It, it stays relevant and um, there are so many areas where we need to um, address this benefit-risk question and we'll go into these a little bit further uh, down the line here, um, but it's really the key question that's always asked. And uh I think very often we as statisticians have focused just once on one side of the medal, mm-hmm. and we have you know teams that look into just one side of the medal and teams other teams that look at the other side of the medal and um the more I think about it, and the, the more I see that people are not connected to that question to this bigger picture um the less. Well defined are the analysis, the less well um, thought through are the presentations. Uh, And I think that's then not optimally supporting good decisions. Okay, so um, turning to Cherul, please introduce yourself. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Alexander and Maria. I I feel very much
2: um, the same as uh, both of you about uh, benefit risk assessment. So just a short introduction, really. I am um, Sharul Matisa. I am a statistician um, in the uh, HTA, Health Technology Assessment. I'm working for MSD in the UK. Um, Prior to joining MSD, I was a clinical trial statistician at Imperial College London, where it was, I think, my um, first uh, exposure to benefit risk assessments, I think it was probably my uh, most uh, fuller fuller um, exposure to benefit assessment when I first encountered
0: it. Yeah, and of yeah. course you worked on quite interesting projects actually at the time. So um, maybe you can speak a little bit about these.
2: Yes, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I think in particular, uh, my exposure was um, through the IMI um, Protect uh, Work Package um, 5, which focus on the uh, methodology of the benefit assessment for the uh, regulatory um, submission. I was actually very much involved in the methodological work and um, case studies in um, IMI Protect uh, that actually has actually grown on me over the years. So I think towards the end of the project, I know this is actually an area that I really want um, to pursue further, not um, just theoretically, but um, also in practice. So that's where basically uh, what brought me to the um, industry. So at MSD, I actually um, called it uh, the Benefit uh, Risk Assessment Initiative um, in the company in which we explore available methodologies and look at um, different guidelines for implementation um, using our products. Uh, and within our group, we uh, not only actually looking at what is available out there but we are also interested in the more complex issues in benefit risk assessment uh, so we do this by of course conducting further research internally and um, also um, through external collaborations
0: okay very very good um, thanks so much uh, Cheryl and Maria and um we covered already a little bit of uh, what benefit-risk assessment actually is uh, in the introductions, and um, Maria told very, very nicely why we as statisticians need to be really key uh, and involved in there. Um, and I think that is also why the benefit-risk Special interest group was uh, founded in the first place a couple of years ago. And there's lots of material on the benefit-risk group uh, out there. Um, But I think, Maria, maybe you can go a little bit deeper into the topic of um, why we as statisticians need to be involved in benefit-risk assessments.
1: No, sure. Uh, And actually, as you were talking about it before, I was thinking... You know, I think our role as statisticians uh in the industry we work in, from my perspective at least, I see it as really expanding, uh, particularly in the last few years. And uh, there are many opportunities for statisticians to be involved, not just at the de- at the design stage, not just as you mentioned, Alexander, in the analysis of the efficacy data. But really, um, you know, to there are, I think there are many opportunities for statisticians to sit at the table and really be involved in the key discussions, um, you know, in a cross-functional team. And I think particularly when it comes to benefit-risk, you know, clinical trials obviously have um, are typically designed to address. Maybe one, maybe more than one scientific question of interest. But in the end, we all know that um, many things happen during the course of the trial that you know we as sponsors, we can't really control for. And so the data that you collect uh, at the end of your trial uh, may not be uh, perfect to address uh, the key questions there is always uncertainty and uncertainty from high perspective is the business of statisticians you know we are experts in uh, understanding uncertainty and quantifying it and i think this becomes particularly relevant when you are talking about uh, benefit risk and the trade offs between efficacy and safety and I think in addition to looking into uh, uncertainty, the other aspect of uh, benefit-risk where I think statisticians really have a key role to play is in um, developing visualizations that not can help not only the team to understand the data, but really also to communicate the benefit-risk trade-off uh, besides the team, be it, for example, internally in your companies or when you uh, go outside externally to your companies to regulatory agencies, HTA bodies, etc. Um, so I think that beyond interpreting the data, there is the element of describing the uncertainty in your data and also enabling teams to visualize the data in an effective way. So I think there is a lot of uh, research um, involving statisticians uh, in all of these topics. And I'm sure Alexander will probably come to that at some point in this uh, podcast.
0: Yeah, uh, there's actually one additional thing that I'm very, very often uh, step over in that part. And that is the correlation yes. of endpoints. So uh, if I think there's very often you have a number of efficacy endpoints that are highly correlated to each other. And then you have a couple of safety endpoints that are... Vaguely or not at all correlated to each other, but if you know, if you just put them all next to each other, it looks like you have ten very very significant uh, efficacy endpoints where you have big differences, and you have five safety signals which are kind of vague. And um, if you don't take into account the correlations, you you may just get the uh, perception that there's a huge benefit on the efficacy side. And in reality, you basically double count things uh, or triple or even more count things, um, just, just word them differently and with with different tools that are highly correlated. Yeah,
1: I'm them. happy that you mentioned that because uh, as you may know, I as part of my work um, on this topic, I've looked into... Uh, Bayesian models that uh, account or try to account for any potential correlation between efficacy and safety, such that, as you mentioned, uh, you can actually make a more uh, efficient and and correct and transparent assessment of any potential trade-off. So that is something I I feel really uh, passionate about. And again, I think there are opportunities there for statisticians to really be uh, driving those discussions with their teams.
0: The other point is I think we as statisticians with our mathematical uh, background are really trained to structure Mm -hmm. the problem uh, in such a way that it can be easily discussed and uh, introduce language and introduce um, words so that everybody really talks about the same things and you structure the overall problem in such a way with, with benefit-risk that um, you can actually tackle it uh, very well. And I think that's, that's another strength of statisticians. Um, actually, one of the reasons uh, that I discussed a couple of times with, with senior leaders about uh, benefit-risk is that the reason that statisticians fail is that they don't get the seat at the table Uh, that Mm -hmm. you just mentioned Um, but as you said i think that is expanding and more and more statisticians are putting more efforts into their leadership skills to have the opportunity to sit at these tables and do exactly what you just Mm -hmm. described charul do you want to add something to that I, I very much um, echo what um, you and Maria uh, said.
2: I think this uh, area really provides us with a lot of opportunities um, statistically because I think it, for, for the reasons really, it is it is a fairly new area and uh, the statistics that we use in benefit risk assessments are still in development. They are still being argued. Uh, there's really nothing there that... Uh, Uh, really acceptable to everyone and um, also of course we have the development in other areas of statistics as well and also uh, the development in the other disease areas as well. That would of course um, I think affect the way we conduct uh, benefit risk assessment. Yeah, so I think that the a lot a lot of things there are actually very related, um, and uh, benefit risk assessment itself is a very big area.
0: Yeah, in I terms think, of yeah. this big area, um, yeah. let's touch on a couple of different situations uh, where you can actually apply benefit risk uh, methodology. So uh, we touched on kind of the um, the regulatory interactions, um, but. What are other situations that you would apply these uh, these things?
1: So I guess maybe I, I can I can start. Um, I think it is you know if you if you find yourself in the in the lucky scenario, I would uh, argue that you have you know a very clear positive uh, signal in your efficacy data and no difference. Um, uh, Versus your comparator in terms of your safety endpoints, you know you don't need very complex uh, assessments for benefit risk to determine that you know this drug is is really doing what it should be doing with no additional burden from a safety perspective to the patient. However, from my experience at least more often than not, we will find ourselves in a scenario where you have, you know, maybe you have met your primary endpoint. However, some of the secondary endpoints that are important to fully characterize your your drug are, you know, the signal is not quite clear cut. Uh, The improvements over your comparator are not clinically meaningful potentially. And in addition to that, maybe you know, there is some concerns about potential safety signals. In those circumstances, I would argue that it is important to really dig uh, deeper into the extent of benefit versus the uh, extent of risk to really quantify the uncertainty there. So this will be a situation where I think that uh, a structured benefit-risk assessment and even a quantitative benefit-risk assessment could really uh, help the teams. And I think these are situations, you know, we, we hear a lot about um, preference, the concept of preference in drug development, patient preference, etc. And regulatory agencies are, are working as we speak uh, on, on this topic. And I think that when you find yourself in a situation where the choice between treatment A or treatment B is preference sensitive, this is also where um, structured formal benefit-risk assessments can be very useful.
0: In terms of that, um, I think you know if you have two drugs that you compare to, to each other, um that's a classic scenario and if you have just one drug that you compare to the placebo that's also a classic scenario i think it's also relevant if you look for example into different uh, doses of the same drug and you want to assess kind of uh, if the higher dose better than the lower dose and that is you know very nicely, very often um, represents a typical case for a benefit-risk assessment because the higher dose may be more efficacious but also mm-hmm. carry more risks. And uh, this is exactly where, you know, you need to have a very good benefit-risk uh, assessment to come up with the argument of why you want to go for one or the other. And um, I think there's lots of situations where, um there was a disagreement <laughs> on this topic, <laughs> and and if you don't have you know structured um, the problem in a nice way, it's very very difficult to disentangle this disagreement and and see where really kind of the the uh, the problems are.
1: And it's interesting because you know we hear that so many uh, drugs fail in the late stages of development because of the. I mean, potentially wrong dose, or if they do succeed, you then have, you know, post-marketing commitments or post-marketing studies to actually fine-tune those. So I, yep. I, I think we should not underestimate at all the uh, benefit-risk element of choosing uh, those at the end of uh, of your phase 2B studies.
0: Speaking about that, I think we can speak about from a design perspective about benefit-risk, but we can also think about, you know, different situations across the um, life cycle of a product. Shurul, what do you think are there the different situations where benefit-risk becomes important?
2: I think benefit-risk assessment is important and um, it is important in basically every situation. Um, I think like uh, Maria mentioned earlier, uh, it is probably more um, required uh, for a structured benefit-risk assessment when you uh, observe something that is uh, not um, really clear-cut so when we have something that's already clear, then uh, whether the benefits outweigh the risk, then it, it does not uh, matter anymore whether we go for a full uh, benefit-risk assessment. In terms of the, uh, the life cycle of the uh, product, the methodologies would not change. I think what would change is the um, focus, uh, the decisions to be made and um, how much um, resources that we actually need um, to put into the risk assessment itself. I think the key point um, to these um, assessments is that we are transparent in the decisions uh, that we reach, that we can actually document them and um, defend our decision based on what, um available evidence uh, at the time. I think on this point, I am actually um, glad that the uh, European Medicines Agency uh, actually adopted the uh, use of effects table as part of their marketing authorization assessment. And um, this is a good uh, milestone and pharmaceutical companies really do need to get up to speed with uh, regularly creating and incorporating the effects table in, uh, of course, our assessments and also our submissions to the regulators.
0: Yeah, and I think the effects table is a nice tool that you can use um, throughout your life uh, cycle uh, of, of your of your um, drug. You can basically start with that very, very early in your uh, development, maybe even in preclinical phases. Of course, then it yep. will have kind of different items in it in terms of, you know, um, uh, tox ranges and and whether it's actually reaching the target and will probably have a lot of also qualitative as, aspects in it. Um, but there you can basically uh, capture uh, in a very very condensed way what are the uh, pros and cons of the drug together with the uh, variations that you have for, for these things. And if you have if you work on a specific disease area um, within this disease area maybe that isn't that much changing and then you know if you need to screen a lot of different um, uh, compounds then you can have one set of kind of uh, ways that you look at these compounds and screen through these compounds and I think that you know will develop over the life cycle of the product or over the kind of different stages of the product. In uh, phase one, you will have a little bit of a different effects table, but uh, maybe very, very similar for um, uh, the different, uh, for a given disease state again. And then that more and more moves into the uh, dosing decision, into the phase three decision, into the uh, regulatory decision, into the HDA decision, and then, you know, up to the point where basically uh, physicians and patients talk about it. And so there's a reassessment from the regulators in terms of um, uh, whether the safety signal has changed. uh, So in terms of the... uh, now we call it uh, periodic benefit-risk updates. So throughout the complete life cycle of, um, of the drug, there are lots of key decisions to be made, and these are very often uh, benefit-risk uh, decisions. Now we talked a lot about kind of um, different ways and uh, of benefit-risk, and you... Um, used words like structured benefit-risk and more complex benefit-risk and and, uh, these kind of uh, words. Um, Maria, maybe you can speak a little bit to that. What do you mean by um, qualitative, quantitative, structured, um, complex uh, benefit-risk assessment?
1: Sure. Um, Actually, I was thinking, as Sherul was mentioning, um, effects Mm -hmm. tables that, again, Uh, the statisticians shouldn't really be shy in terms of educating the teams they work with uh, in those tools if those teams are not uh, familiar with them. So uh, effects tables uh, and other, um, let's say, frameworks are um, what we would call potentially qualitative frameworks for benefit-risk assessment. And the idea behind these qualitative frameworks is to help frame the problem So, what is the the question that we want to address? Once you frame the problem, what are the key drivers uh, for the decision-making process, or you could say the key endpoints? Um, And then once you have uh, that identified as well, these qualitative frameworks can help you... um, can help make clear what are uh, potential deficiencies in your data. So, for example, if there are imbalances in terms of missing data of some kind or in terms of specific intercurrent events of interest, these qualitative frameworks can really help you, um, you know, put all of that together, make it clear this is the... uh, question, this is the framework, this is, you know, the data that can help us answer that question.
0: And in terms of the effects table, we talked a, a couple of times about that for those that actually don't know what it is. It, it basically captures all the key um, benefits and risks for your drug and um, Compared to a relevant comparator, so it could be, you know, placebo or another drug, or it could be different doses, um, in one bigger table, um, and it uh, describes for each of these endpoints, see uh, the variation, um, could be confidence intervals or something like this, and is this is very often table, but also very often um, uh, a graph. Uh, with you know that looks very similar to a forest plot, and it, sometimes it goes both both goes together. And there's uh, you can add notes to it, and there's actually uh, quite a lot of examples on on uh, different effects tables out there. Uh, so, and I think the key thing is um, it looks very very easy, but it's not that easy to get to such 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 a. Easy interpretation of the overall data because there can be lots of arguments about um, how you display these kind of things. How uh, what is the important endpoints that you need to include? Um, so I think the just getting to this effects table is already quite an interesting experience because it will highlight all the key discussions that you have. Um, um, so. Mm-hmm. That's a qualitative approach, yeah. And I was going
1: to add to that, and I think often the... So, obviously, the framework itself is very useful, but as you mentioned, the discussions that the team has in order to get to a final effects table, I think that probably they are even more useful in a way because it's an opportunity for the team to really... um, you know, get to the bottom of their data, really understand the potential and the deficiencies of their data, etc., and feel confident in communicating yeah. that. So, so I think qualitative frameworks are a really important, if not you know, crucial first step to any uh, benefit-risk assessment. And if you apply these frameworks, these qualitative frameworks, uh, this is what we would call a structured. Uh, benefit risk assessment, the first step in in that, because it really helps to structure your thinking. Um, so once you have that, you can then move forward if if there is a need to uh, what is typically called called a quantitative benefit risk assessment. And. There are a variety of methods out there, and Sharul, as part of your work with IMI Protect, uh, I, you know, you you guys uh, did a very exhaustive and comprehensive assessment of a number of these tools for quantitative benefit risk assessment, and the idea is really to then um, try and quantify uh, this trade off between uh, benefits and risks somehow speed, for example, through, I uh, you know, a benefit risk score or a benefit risk ratio or um, a probability statement. There are a variety of tools. They all obviously have advantages and disadvantages uh, depending on the question you have at hand or the um, data that you have collected. But this is, I would say this is the key difference, but... Maybe Sharul, you can speak through the, your experience as part of IMI
2: Yes, no, I think our understanding um, yeah, perfectly match so that that's that's a good thing. I think in um, protect as well we also uh, went a little bit further and uh, we we also defined what we call as the fully um, quantitative benefit risk assessment which then uh starts to take into account of the different uh perspective or different patient uh preferences or the decision makers uh, preferences into the assessment and then eventually uh put everything together to trade off the benefits and um, risk so that's uh, i think another um probably another terminology that uh yeah i think we would like to uh, introduce here as well so so i think in terms of the chronology we would have a qualitative as the first step and then you can go a little bit further to a quantitative assessment and uh then if you you are in a very complex decision Uh, making situation, then you would go for a fully quantitative benefit risk assessment, which would be the most um, exhaustive um, method um, to use.
1: One thing I would Mm -hmm. add to that Mm -hmm. uh, is that um, I think it's important to highlight the fact that all, all, of, all of these approaches are really there to support teams in making the decision. That's correct. But will not make the decision on behalf of the team.. Yep. So you know, you make your benefit risk assessment, uh, it really is just a tool to support you and not to to replace the clinical judgment.
0: Yeah. And I think that is a very, very important thing. It's it's not kind of a black box uh, data in decision out kind of thing. In terms of um, the quantitative approach, I think the, if you break it down to, let's say, a very, very simple thing, you have two drugs that you compare to each other. One drug uh, is more efficacious than the other. Uh, but also um, carries more risk. And now the question, of course, is what's more important, the treatment benefit or the risk difference? And where the preferences come in is they tell you um, they can give you Weights in terms of the trade-offs that you need to make, the trade-off between the efficacy side and the safety side. And um, there's tools that that Schurl alluded to that help you to do that if you have even more than just these two endpoints, if you have multiple endpoints, uh, that you can come up with with an overall weighting of these different um, endpoints so that you basically can match them all onto a single outcome actually you know from a medical po- point of view we often see that as being quite difficult but in the end we are doing these kind of things in our head all the time so if we let's say buy a you know a car and we need to select between different cars um, that have different features different prices um we do the same thing, yeah. we, we have uh, pros and cons, and uh, we try to match everything to the same unit, maybe you know, euros or pounds or dollars, and um, then we make our decision in the end. So, um, and there of course, our personal preferences play a big role. Yeah, so, so family, maybe a big car is more important than a powerful car. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, and I think the same holds true here for the uh, medical situations. Uh, so, um, I just want to make sure that, um, you know, this is not seen as something that is kind of obscure or non-intuitive. It's actually something that we intuitively do anyway. And I think these, these tools help us to quantify things. To make it transparent, explicit, and that really we have a terminology to talk about these kind of things. So that is really, really important. And we we talked al- already about protect a couple of times. Um, there was there's lots. Protect is kind of one area where you can. <clears throat> find a lot of sources on that but uh, of course there's lots of different parties that actually have worked on this benefit risk topic because obviously it's not just a statistical topic so what are all the other you know parties uh, work streams and so on that have worked on this topic
2: there there are um quite a lot actually um if I can remember on top of my head uh we have a um a work package on um real world evidence uh work package on uh pharmacovigilance and uh benefit um risk assessment of course and uh, i think it's it is a collaboration between uh several uh pharmaceutical companies um multiple um, regulators as well as well as um academia so it is a big a big collaboration i think it was a, how long was it i think over 5 years um project so there are a lot of uh, outputs actually uh, from benefit uh, from um protect itself so I think in the end, what what we really want um, to achieve um, through PROTECT is that to see how are all these different areas actually come together for the purpose of the assessing the uh, benefits and um, risk of um, a product. So it is it is it is a big big a big big um, collaboration. Yes.
0: In terms of that is IMI-Protect, mm-hmm. but there's lots of other kind of groups beyond IMI-Protect uh, uh, that uh, work yes. on this. Can you maybe ah, mention sorry. a couple of the important yes. ones?
2: Yes, um, so I think follow on, um from the um, Protect work, uh, there is um, currently... Now, a, um, an IMI, um, also, um, consortium on, um, vaccines, uh, benefit risk, uh, monitoring. So the ones called IMI Advanced. I believe, uh, the consortium is changing its name to, uh, VAC for EU. So this VAC for, um, EU. So I, I think from now on, it's uh, going to be, um, called that. And um, of course, the, the there is the uh, the new um, I my project on um, patient preference. Um, called the IMI PREFER. PREFER. Yep. so that's uh, the one as well. So I think the, these are the two main ones that focus uh, very much on benefit-risk assessment. But um, there is, uh, if we are also aware, there is the uh, IMI um, EU2P, which um, provides uh, training and so on. Which also um, has a component of benefit risk assessment in their um, curriculum.
0: And then we also have a couple of Mm -hmm. kind of, uh, on the other side of the ocean, a couple of uh, initiatives as well. Maria, maybe you can talk to these a little bit.
1: Uh, sure. No, I, I mean, I'm not sure if I know all of them, but uh, I was just thinking uh, the DIA, um, Bayesian Scientific, Scientific Working Group, has a sub-team uh, mm-hmm. looking into benefit risk. Um, and obviously, you know, PSI, together with uh, FSPI, also have a special interest group. The other mm-hmm. thing I wanted to, to bring, and, and this maybe it's more related to the topic of uh, patient preference and the link to benefit risk assessment, but other organizations that maybe are not uh, that familiar to statisticians in the pharmaceutical industry, such as ISPOR, for example, they have uh, explored some of these topics as maybe sometimes in other contexts. But I think if you want to um, learn about the topic from a, very general perspective, uh, you can maybe extend your uh, field beyond the, the standard, if you like, pharmaceutical um, area. So, yeah, yeah, absolutely.
0: And ISPO has uh, written two position papers on that. Um, if you search for MCDA, Multi Criteria Decision Analysis, Uh, then you will find these things. There's very often this term MCDA uh, is used in in, uh, association with quantitative benefit risk assessments.
1: It's interesting, you know, because actually now uh, we mentioned the concept of preference, uh, patient preference or stakeholder preference a few times um, in this conversation. But what I find is that uh, when you speak to colleagues that maybe come from a slightly different background, you know, Mm -hmm. colleagues that are maybe more involved with um, uh, with ISPOR, with other areas that are nothing to do with life sciences, um, it's interesting how we seem at times to speak a different language but actually we are talking about the same things, which is using a slightly different terminology. So I think yeah. it is really an opportunity for you to stretch yourself and to see things from a different perspective and to um and try to understand how you can learn from from them, if there is anything to be learned that you can incorporate into your day to day and vice versa. It's very it's been a very interesting ride. <laughs>
0: In terms of that, actually, we now, um, used a couple of acronyms. We used a couple of um resources and mentioned them here. We'll put links to all these different materials into the show notes. So um, just go into the show notes after you have listened to this and then you can find lots of links and and, and further readings. Um, Maria you just mentioned the um PSI Benefit Risk uh, Special Interest Group. And Uh, You mentioned you're part of that. Actually, you're sharing it (laughs) (laughs) now uh, after I handed this over to you. And uh, so (laughs) um, maybe we can uh, talk a little bit about this uh, special interest group uh, and actually what it's doing.
1: Sure. Uh, actually, this is really, I mean, my journey into benefit risk uh, has been, I find, a, you know, a, a, an interesting one, maybe not so obvious, but uh, because when I started being involved um, in that special interest group, I i wasn't really that aware. It was at the beginning of my career in the pharmaceutical industry, and I wasn't really, I didn't really have that much experience, insight into that topic, uh, particularly as I was very much working in development at the time. But in any way, fast forward a few years, I've, you know, I grew uh, my interest in this area grew a lot. And to be honest, Alexander, I don't actually remember how I got to join the special interest group, but maybe, no, that's that's for another conversation. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so we are a group of um, statisticians. I would say now that we actually come from very different, um, we bring a lot of different experiences, different backgrounds. We have people who um come maybe from more a safety side of things, people that come more from a post marketing uh, side uh, of drug development and now we even have colleagues that come from outside drug development so I think the group has really expanded, and that in with that you know brings a lot of really interesting discussions. We uh our remit is really to uh explore and advance the, the, the field of benefit risk uh, applied uh to drug development. Um not necessarily just late phase, but you know, in, in all uh, areas of the drug development pathway. We the aim is really to contribute to shape um this uh area and learn from each other and teach others, uh, you know, if there is an opportunity to do that. And I will make a very uh, shameless shout out to (laughs) uh, the upcoming course we are organizing as part of the PSI conference. So if you are planning to attend this year's PSI conference, which starts on the 2nd of June in London, then uh, we will be uh, organizing a half-day course on preference solicitation, Um, you know, we've mentioned it here a few times, and I think that is because this topic is getting really, really a lot of traction within drug development, within companies particularly, and regulatory agencies, and I'm thinking particularly the FDA, is about to release five to six guidances on the topic Um, I think the EMA has also been exploring this topic, and so we feel that it is time for statisticians to be up to speed on what is a preference, uh, how to elicit preferences, how to use the outcome from such an elicitation to support uh, decision-making, for example, in terms of benefit-risk. So. It's all about empowering statisticians to get a seat at the table where it matters.
0: Yeah. It's actually an awesome uh, thing. There were a couple of presentations on these in the last uh, PSI meetings So um, in Berlin, London let, last time in Amsterdam, we all had uh, uh, sessions dedicated to benefit risk and, um, it's always a very, very interesting topic and some things that, um, often you don't learn so much in your standard, um, academic career and something that is really important and is, uh, increasingly getting importance. And it would be a shame if statisticians miss out on that and, and leave this area to, uh, to other parts. And so, um, Come to this uh conference training that happens on the Sunday before the conference, and uh learn about that so that you uh can help to disentangle these situations where uh, one choice is more efficacious and the other is more safe uh and you can you know have methods at hand to elicitate these. Uh, preferences so that you can make a, a quantitative benefit risk assessment. So so that's very good. Um, Charul, do you want to add? I, I actually just want to add
2: something to the um, workshop. It's not all um, serious throughout. Um, it is a serious topic, but we are going to be doing some um, role playing in there. So have a little bit of, of fun um, while we actually
0: learn something. <laughs> yeah, it was a lot of fun last time we did it. So. Yeah, that's great. <laughs> yeah. Okay, very good. So, um, with that said, um, I hope you have uh, got a little bit of interest into the SIG. And now, of course, the question is um, how can someone that is a listener now become a member of the SIG, Maria?
1: So, yes, uh, of course, you can reach out to me. If you go to the PSI uh, webpage, there is a tab uh, around the different special interest groups. And if you click on the benefit-risk one, you'll see my contact details there. So uh, I can tell you that in the last year or so, we have had a number of new people joining that bring really interesting expertise. Obviously, the SIG is only as effective as uh, the members that compose it. But I would say that we have a really interesting uh, group of people. Sharul is is part of it. And... um, yeah just send me an email, and uh, I'll be happy to have a chat to with you and include you in our in our discussions moving forward
0: yep and of course, all these links are also in the show notes okay, thanks so much for the discussion. It was a pleasure again to to chat with you um about this topic that is really close to my heart and uh, actually, I just noticed maria you're the first one that is The second time on the podcast.
1: Oh, (laughs) yay.
0: Do you you remember the last time you have been on the podcast?
1: I do remember. uh, It was in Amsterdam. And yeah, uh, yeah. <laughs> yes, you, <laughs> you caught me off guard. No, I'm kidding. <laughs> it was a pleasure. <laughs>
0: Thank so, you so much. So if, if you want to listen to, to Maria, uh, just scroll back on your player and uh, find the episode about uh, Best of PSI 2018. And I have a short interview with, with Maria in Okay, thanks so much. Thank and you. Uh, see you all in London for the course.
1: Perfect. Thank you so much, Alexander.
0: Thanks, Alexander. Thanks,
1: Maria.
0: This The show was created in association with PSI. Let's meet at the PSI conference. Thanks for listening. Please visit theeffectivestatistician.com to find the show notes and learn more about our podcast to boost your career as a statistician in the health sector.